as I said, you can be turning to Genesis chapter 40, but I wonder how many of you have waited for something. You might think, of course, we've all waited for something, whether it's your teenage daughter to finish getting ready and do her hair and it seems to take hours for that to happen, or you're waiting on your child who insists they can carry their backpack and it takes them 20 minutes longer than it would take you the five minutes just to walk with it, or perhaps waiting in the drive through for that delicious cup of coffee so that you can wake up that morning or waiting for that job promotion, hoping you won't be passed over one more time, or waiting for the doctor to come back in the room and give you the diagnosis that you've been waiting to hear or hoping not to hear, or perhaps simply you're just waiting for Jesus to come back and all of this chaos to be resolved. As we enter back into the story of Joseph, we find a man who's been waiting for a very, very long time. We see in Genesis chapter 39 before chapter 30, verses 20 through 23, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. But as you recall, Joseph's life hasn't always been good. In fact, it still really isn't that good because he is in prison, something that I don't think any of us would desire. Joseph's life at one time had been a pretty good life. He was loved deeply by his father, given this coat of many colors. God gave him two dreams that point to the fact that Joseph in some capacity would reign and rule over his mother and father and brothers, indicating a very bright future for him. But None of that has come to pass. His brothers hated him, ripped up his coat, threw him in a pit, and then sold him into slavery. He finds himself in Potiphar's house, and he gets thrown in charge of Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of trying to take advantage of her. And of course, that didn't sit very well with Potiphar, which is where we pick up today. Now Joseph finds himself yet again in another pit, his clothes ripped from him. So much for the promises of God and those great dreams that he was given. So I invite all of you to stand for the reading of God's word. We'll cover Genesis 40 and 41, but we will just read chapter 40 to start with. If you don't have a Bible, the text will be on the screen. If you need one, the info bar would be happy to give you one as a gift. <clears throat> the word of the Lord says, And sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. 
they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker and the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. And when he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we've had a dream and there is no one here to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. And so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said, in my dream, there was a vine before me and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to the office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me this kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. And when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you from a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his position, cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, and he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father, we come before you, and we ask that you help us. You help us to understand your word, to apply it to our lives. We pray that you would remove any distractions that might be on our mind that would draw us away from focusing on you this morning. We pray that this morning as we look at the life of Joseph that we would desire to follow faithfully after you, that we would look to be changed by your word that we would find hope and comfort in your word. We pray your blessing on this time. In your son's name, amen. And the scripture says, and after some time in custody, Moses, who you might recall is the writer of the book of Genesis, tells us the royal cupbearer and baker whom Joseph now serves, each have a dream with its own specific interpretation. You see, the Egyptians believed dreams were predictive, and the cupbearer and the baker would expect that their dreams would offer clues, hints into the future about something that is to come. 
But this was a very special training and class that the Egyptians' only specific people would be able to take to be able to interpret such dreams. And because the cupbearer and the baker are in prison, these are not resources available to them. And so the cupbearer and the baker don't know is that Joseph himself is somewhat of an expert in the interpretation of dreams. In fact, a couple chapters earlier in Genesis 37 is when God gave Joseph those dreams about the stars and the moon and the hay bells bowing down, which is where he received his first dreams from God. Now, one quick side note of something that could potentially be distracting in this passage and draw us away from the main point, and it might be you wondering about dreams. Is the dream that God gave you last night that you'll receive $1 million, is that going to come true today? My interpretation is probably not. But we do have to ask the question is, can God speak through dreams? And the answer is emphatically yes. We see this in the life of Joseph earlier in the book, now in this chapter, and also as we study chapter 41, another set of dreams. There are in fact 21 recorded dreams in the scriptures as a whole. So yes, very clearly, God can speak through dreams. But the next question to ask is, is God speaking to me in a dream? Maybe. There are different ways to answer this question. I could be speaking to you. There are reports, perhaps you've heard of them, of those who are far from God who receive a dream and they get a dream to go see someone and that person leads them to Christ. But I think something to know is not only is God giving dreams in this text, but he's giving the interpretations of those dreams as well. I think we need to remember that, yes, God can, in fact, speak through dreams. He can. He does. But instead of us examining all of the dreams that we have that, let's be honest, sometimes we have really crazy dreams. Instead of spending our time and energy and effort trying to come to a conclusion of those dreams, we remember that more important than dreams, God has given us his word, which in fact does specifically tell us how it is we are to live our lives and how it is we are to follow after God. So in this prison, these officials, the cupbearer and the baker, have no access to professional interpreters, and so they are very troubled with uncertainty. Which brings us to our first point that Joseph personifies selflessness. So he comes in and he looks and he sees that their faces are distraught and asks them what is wrong. And I think it's kind of humorous thinking, well, you're all in prison. I doubt any of you are very excited about being in prison. Joseph, in fact, could look and be like, man, why do I care that these people seem down when my life is really not going that great? Far from home, hated by my brothers, falsely accused, now in prison, not much is going well for me. But Joseph comes in that next morning and quickly notices and learns what's behind their troubles. 
His reply reveals the strength of his faith and his spiritual maturity, that he himself has been spending years waiting for his life to improve, but Joseph still seems to believe that God is with him and will give him the meaning of the dreams he had earlier about him ruling. Thus, he confidently asks to hear the dreams. He says, yes, I care. I want to know what's wrong with you. Joseph explicitly declares that the interpretation of the dreams come from the Lord God himself. That's nothing that I am doing, Joseph says. He says, this is all God's doing. God's the one who gives the interpretations of the dreams. And Joseph having been humbled to be in prison, now affirms he has this talent given to him from God, that God is using him as a mouthpiece or a vessel to communicate God's truth through these cupbearer and baker. And you see, Joseph's selflessness is identified by the fact that he is not sitting there pouting, throwing a pity party for himself about the certain circumstances he finds himself in. Instead, he is caring about other people. Joseph's empathy for the cupbearer and the baker moves him to inquire about their emotional state. I mean, if I was in Joseph's shoes, wrongly accused, thrown in prison for a long time, hated by my family so much so that they threw me in a pit and then sold me into slavery, I am not going to care that someone next to me is looking sad or disappointed. But such compassion is required of God's people, and it must be evident in the lives of those who are followers of Jesus. Colossians 3.12 puts it this way, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Even Jesus came to empathize with us in our weakness in Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, who let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Certainly Christ's empathy for us is greater than Joseph's empathy for the prisoners, but nevertheless, John Christensen puts it this way, even when he, Joseph, found himself in prison, he gave evidence of his characteristic virtue and was concerned to relieve the sadness of others. Meaning that we ourselves, when we might even be in suffering, should care about the suffering that other people have. That we need to step back from our own lives and take the focus off of ourselves and instead put the focus where it rightfully belongs on God and other people. Now that may seem opposite of when you're in suffering, you want to focus on your own needs because it's very real suffering or sadness or your circumstances may not be really that great. But it's through removing ourselves from the circumstance that we gain fuller perspective. If I have a problem 
and I just sit in my office and think and think and think and think about it, nothing actually gets done. But if I have a problem and I go and I do something, something else, working with my hands, it causes me to forget about that issue. Joseph, instead of focusing on himself, is focusing on the needs of other individuals, not worrying about himself because his confidence isn't in his circumstance. His confidence is in God. The selflessness that helps us minister to others is worked in us by the Holy Spirit. As we seek as followers of God to model the compassion of Christ and as he comforts us in our own suffering. Matthew Henry, commentating on this passage, puts communion in suffering helps to work compassion towards those who do suffer. The problems and tragedies that we face help us to learn to minister to other people. Meaning when we suffer, we shouldn't ask the question, how soon is this going to end? Or as David puts it in the Psalms, how long, O Lord? Instead, we should ask God to use this experience to increase our compassion for others so that we might in the future be able to better minister to other people. Being able to walk alongside someone who is suffering. But this takes a certain type of selflessness. The only type of selflessness that we can compare this to is Jesus' selflessness to die on the cross for our sins when he did nothing wrong, just as Joseph did nothing wrong, and yet he died in our place to show the greatest act of compassion and love and show and provide salvation for all of us. In every interpretation of Joseph in this particular chapter, has proved to be true. In fact, the specific words and phrases spoken to the cupbearer in verse 13 and the baker in verse 19 are echoed in the conclusion so as to underline the precision of Joseph's predictions that they were fulfilled. Which if I'm Joseph in this moment when I'm telling other people their interpretations of their dreams, I'm thinking back to what God gave me in a dream that I would rule and reign over my brothers and sisters and parents, that they would bow down before me, wondering, when is that dream going to be fulfilled? And he's probably wondering this. For 11 years, he's held on to this dream, which has allowed him to not grow bitter to continue to faithfully serve God, to minister to other people despite his circumstances and with unwavering conviction. And now he has solid, objective evidence of his power through God to interpret dreams. That he is a mouthpiece for God and that these interpreted pair of dreams, that he should now have confidence in the dreams that God has given him in the past. Which points us to how Joseph lived his entire life, knowing those dreams that he had to where he is now, even when the cupbearer forgets. You see, Joseph prioritizes faithfulness. If you'll read with me in Genesis 41, and it says, 
After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cow on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. We're like, no, duh. If I saw cows eat each other, I would be awoken from my sleep. And he falls back asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin, blighted by the east wind, and the ears swallowed up seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and he called for the magicians of Egypt, all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dream. But there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, and we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and when we told him, he interpreted our dreams, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit, and he, was sh- and he had shaved himself and changed clothes, and he came before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it to me. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable interpretation. And then Pharaoh repeats the dreams of the cows and the ears of corn, jumping down to verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after the seven came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the land will be unknown and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore Pharaoh selected, select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers of the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years." And then let them gather the food of these good years that are coming and store them up under the, store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the food in the cities and let them keep it. And the food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish in the famine. So this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? 
in whom the spirit in whom is the spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land. Now, Joseph is finally being remembered by the cupbearer, pointing out the obvious fact that people at times will fail you. Joseph said, please do this kindness. Remember, I gave you a good interpretation of your dream. Please tell this to Pharaoh, for I have been wrongly treated. And the first thing he does when he gets out of prison is leaves Joseph there. But that's another sermon for another time. So now Pharaoh has these two dreams and says, importantly, that no one can interpret. But I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. The cupbearer remembers. And this next verse is very critical. Now Joseph answered Pharaoh and says, It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now in this moment, Joseph easily could have taken advantage and said, Yes, of course, I am the dream interpreter. Look at my credentials. I've interpreted these other dreams. When it says, he says, don't look at me to interpret the dreams for I am just a nobody, but you should look to God. Joseph is showing us the example of what it looks like to prioritize faithfulness in our lives. He's pointing back to the hope that he has that I'm just a nobody. I'm just the mouthpiece for the God Almighty. Remembering that we ourselves, when we were born, we were born as children of wrath, as enemies of God, as simply nobodies. But God, in his rich kindness, lavished his love on us and provided a way of salvation through Jesus' death on the cross to bring us to new life and to new hope and to new purpose. No longer do we live our lives for our own purpose, for our own gain, but instead living a life that is faithful is about living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And Joseph did something that was really hard. These inter- the interpretation of this dream isn't completely good. Joseph could have said like, hey, seven years of good, plentiful harvest, and that's great. And he could have easily left out the seven years of famine, but Joseph goes before the most powerful man currently in the world and delivers some of the worst news that like, hey, the whole world is going to go through a famine, and if you aren't careful, you're going to be wiped out. And so he remembers that God showed Pharaoh this dream twice, and he goes, hey, listen, this isn't some accident. God gave you this dream twice so that you will know for sure this will come to pass. Now we need to take a pause, and if you've been paying attention to the life of Joseph as we've been studying the book of Genesis these last couple months, or perhaps you're familiar with the story of Joseph, God gave Pharaoh two dreams to show that they were determined by God to come to pass. Just as in the last chapter, God gave two dreams— that both of which came to pass. And Joseph yet again is coming to remembering his two dreams 
that if God gave Pharaoh two dreams to show that this will happen, he's remembering his two dreams from God that these will happen, although he has not experienced it yet. Prioritizing faithfulness means trusting God regardless of the circumstances that you find yourselves in. And this is exactly how and why Joseph has been able to carry on his life living faithfully in a faraway land and why he hasn't completely given up on God because he has hope in someone that is greater than he is. He has confidence that God is completely sovereign over all these things because if God isn't sovereign over the things happening in Joseph's life, then he has wasted all of his time. We think back to last week. Do you think it's just by chance that Joseph became so powerful in Potiphar's house? That he just like did the bare minimum. Potiphar's like, that's the guy I want to rule who can do anything he wants in my house but have my wife. No, Joseph is living like Colossians 1.10 describes. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Joseph isn't casually doing good work. None of us casually do good work. We can go to our jobs and mindlessly work, but to do good work, we have to put effort and strive to do good work. And not only Joseph's good work, he gets placed at the top of Potiphar's food chain. And then he gets thrown in prison, and then in prison he gets placed at the top of the prison. And he's not doing it because it's fun. Like being thrown in prison is not fun for Joseph. He's doing it because he wants to please the Lord. He wants to be faithful in everything that he does. And no matter what the circumstances of your life may be, good or bad, God is still the same. To live a life of faithfulness that points others to see that there has been a change in our hearts that cannot be explained is what we are called to do as followers of God. If we finish that section of Colossians 1, it reads, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. In light, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That our lives as followers of Jesus are no longer our own, but we've been given a purpose to walk faithfully in a manner worthy of our calling to obey and follow after the commands of God, to not only bring God glory, but to point others to him. Meaning that in your life, regardless of the situation you find ourselves in, whether you love your job or hate your job, whether you're in school or you're totally sick of school, whether a family member is suffering or you just got that promotion at work, that you are to live faithful in a way that points others towards Christ and gives God glory. Pharaoh further proves this point that Joseph is living faithful in verse 37 by saying this is pleasing to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to the servants, can we find a man like this in whom 
is the Spirit of God that Pharaoh recognizes that there is something uniquely different about Joseph compared to his magicians and wizards who weren't able to interpret his dream. He says there's something very specifically different about him. Why would I not put him in charge of this plan that God has given him vision and discernment to see? And so Pharaoh calls upon Joseph to take up the calling to go after and do all of these things that he has done, that he has predicted to do, that there will be famine, that he should follow after God, that they should store up, that they should plan ahead, and that he should be over all of Egypt. If we remember the story of Joseph, it is all about rises and falls, pits to paradise, nice clothes to ripped clothes, Joseph's father gives him a coat of many colors. His brothers rip it, throw him in a pit. He is raised from the pit, goes to Potiphar's house. In Potiphar's house, he's given new, nice clothes, placed over Potiphar's house. Then his clothes are physically ripped from him again, and he is cast yet again into another pit in the jail. jail. Now he's being raised up again, given a bath and shaved and new clothes and a new role and new reigning. That his life is all these ups and downs. But not only did Joseph live faithfully for God, but he faithfully pursued God in all of his work. He did the very best that he could. And I think that part might seem really simple to us, that like we do all that we can to the glory of God. But this last part is so important for us, brothers and sisters, that wherever God has placed you, whether in school or you stay at home or you oversee lots of people or the job that you don't really love, we are called as followers of Jesus to do the best that we can, not to get the promotion, not to get a raise, not to get more love, not to get a new job, but simply to give God glory and point others to God. Prioritizing faithfulness means that regardless of the season we find ourselves in, and I know some of your stories, some of you are in very hard seasons right now, regardless of the season we find ourselves in, we are to walk in a manner that brings God glory and honor. And Joseph shows us what that looks like. And not only does Joseph prioritize faithfulness, but he pursues dependence on God. Verses 50 through 57 read, Before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore them. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the land. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, The people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, and what he says to you, do. 
So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in all the land of Egypt. Moreover, all of Egypt came to Joseph to buy grain. And because the famine was severe over all of the earth. And so what Joseph has said was true. Joseph said, this is what is going to happen. And finally, things start to turn around for Joseph for he is raised, Pharaoh puts him in charge of all these things. Things are going, going well. He's given a wife and a signet ring and he has power and God blesses him with two children. And you see, part, part of the story that, that is so important that we might easily skip over is the names that Joseph gives his sons. You see, names in Bible times carry much more weight than they do today. I received my name of Thad simply because my mom liked the name for no specific purpose other than that. But Joseph chooses these names for a very specific reason. To point back to his need of God in his life and what God has done in his life. That God has made me forget my afflictions, my hardships, and forget my father's house. That God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So that every time he calls the name of his sons, he's reminded that God has not left him. That God has not forsaken him. That even though at times it may have felt like it as he was sitting in one of those pits all alone, that God was never far from him. That the rises and falls, the being clothed and unclothed, no matter what the experience, Joseph remained dependent on God. And no matter what you are experiencing today, whether sweet or bitter or good or evil, no longer how long it is lasting, we need to keep our dependence on God because God has not left us to suffer alone. In the midst of trouble and suffering, it can be difficult to believe that God knows exactly what he's doing because we look at the situation and be like, that's not the decision that I would choose. I really don't want to go through this hardship. And it's so easy to despair and believe the lie that God has abandoned us. That he will not keep his promise to work all things together for good for the good of his children. But friends, our Father is sovereign. And he is working for our ultimate good and for the advance of his kingdom, even when our circumstances seem entirely dark. Joseph had complete and utter dependence on God. He believed the promise that God was sovereign, the creator of all things, in control of all things. Because if God isn't sovereign over all things, then frankly, our suffering is pointless and hopeless and joyless. But if God is sovereign, suffering is never wasted. Perhaps we might find ourselves in a situation like Job, where Job suffered great things and lost pretty much everything he had but his life, and God never tells him the reason. But Job remained faithful to God. 
Perhaps you, in a situation you find yourself in, might be like, I'm not sure what God's trying to teach me. Pray and ask God, reveal to me what it is you're trying to teach me and help me to remain faithful because I don't understand what's going on. And remain faithful and wait for his response. For God is a good father who does not leave his children to wander aimlessly around hopeless. He provides the greatest hope for us in the scriptures that this is not the end, that there is a greater end for us in heaven, which is perfect, but even better than being perfect, it is us with God. And remember that all of our suffering, all of our sickness, all of our sadness, our jobs, our circumstances, all of it is meant to bring God glory and draw us closer to him. May God help us to live faithfully and dependently like Joseph. Let us close in prayer.